Greetings program. Hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie by minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie, Tron. This is Minute 74. I'm your host, Duncan Shields, and returning with me today is my intelligent, insightful, and clever guest co-host, Sam Dolmage. Welcome, Sam. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's very good to have you back. It's some very insightful stuff to say in the last minute, so I'm looking forward to going through this minute with you. It feels like it's been a long time since we recorded the last one of these. It feels like it's been a while. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So let's see what happens in this minute. Flynn comes clean about being a user to Yori and Tron. Uh, flirts a little, and Sark sends a fleet of recognizers along the light beam to catch up with the solar sailor. Right, and then we have just the just tip, a smidge, just yeah. the tip, just the tip of the uh, of the scene uh, to follow. That's right. So uh, Flynn with looks angry. At, Sark, at angry Sark. Yes. I wonder if Sark like sarcastic. You know, like I wonder like Sark has a great because it's got the the S the sibilant of a snake and then like a K of like the I tried like to pickle. dive in and find the meaning of Sark and I didn't find. Uh, I think it's just one of those uh, names. It's a one syllable name that mm-hmm. sounds pretty cool. Which is this is where it, like Dumont kind of ruins the meter because we've got Flynn, Rom, Tran, uh, Tron, Crom, but we oh, well then Yori kind of. Kind of, uh, she's got a two-syllable one. Too, yeah, so, but uh, Dumont know. also sounds uh, uh, French. It's like a French surname, yeah. French-esque, and it feels very weird to bring that kind of ethnicity yeah. into this program world. Yeah, and it's, uh, but it's more like the Latin, like from the mountain, like on the mount, you know. So, okay. he, and he's like, uh, he's a, he's a, like an archbishop on his own little mountain guarding I the thing. Feel there. like, but I hear should you. have used Latin or. Greek word more than yeah yeah hundred percent yeah hundred percent Dumont is just like McTavish or like yeah. you know Johnson yeah, exactly. or something like that yeah. you know so it's uh it's an interesting but that was then Goodman's daughter yeah, Good, yeah Goodman's yeah. daughter yeah. in the end but um so right now uh yeah Flynn looks at Tron and Yori huddled together and says it's time I leveled with you I'm what you guys call a user. Uh, level and one thing that's interesting is leveling with somebody seems like a real seventies expression. But what were you going to say? Uh, I also like that after he says I'm a user, and they go to their like slightly stupefied reaction shot, and this little yellow asteroid thing goes <laughs> on on their on their shot, and then like a moment later he says user again, and another one goes. Like, oh yeah! Do they do that like every time he says either? And <laughs> unfortunately, like it's not like a gag that they set up and and exploit. I thought maybe it was one of those things, but it's not. It's just a, for yeah. those two for those two times, like a user. Where was that one? Like from uh, Tessmacher? <laughs> like from like uh, from Young Frankenstein? Like somebody's name keeps yeah 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 giving off uh, yeah. uh, you know or like uh, gosh, there's some a bunch of those old movies where the name sets off lightning. Sets off a bolt of thunder and lightning, you know. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. Or Dracula. I always like the, the the gag where saying a name causes somebody to react in some some particular way. Like the, <laughs> yeah. The, the classic is the Abbott Costello routine where wherever the guy says Niagara Falls, the guy's like Niagara Falls and starts throttling him. Oh so yeah. So it's just like longer and longer. It's like, yeah. So we went to the thing. We went down here and we went down there and we went to Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls. Slowly <laughs> I turned. Like uh, in Dead Man Don't Wear Plaid, Heidemacher Frau. Heidemacher Frau. Heidemacher Frau. What's a Heidemacher Frau? Uh, I, I, I was, 
Like cleaning woman. Cleaning, cleaning woman? woman? Cleaning, cleaning woman! Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's a, it's a good gag. That would be cool if the, uh, every time someone said user, you got a little... Um, in the background, that would be cool. Uh, I have a question, which you probably already answered. What the high holy hell is the thing on Tron's chest? It's like a circle with three squares and another square. Uh, yeah, good question. It sort of looks like it forms a T. Okay. Um, T for Tron. T for Tron. Yeah. Um, I think that... I don't. I haven't seen any of the deeper symbolism. And and it's all the, the, I wonder if it's like a jack, like a oh. like a jack where pins would go into it in that configuration. That would be pretty cool. Like that's yeah. a big outlet. Like that's a big socket of some kind. Big socket. I know that in the in the deleted scene, as Yuri touches his chest, like she lights up the squares. Oh, neat! As she's touching his chest, which is pretty cool. Uh, almost like she's punching in a like a pin code or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. I have the key to your heart. <laughs> beep, 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 the beep, literal beep. key to your literal yeah. heart. Like, yeah. Yeah. One, two, three, four, really? It was that easy this yeah. whole time? <laughs> like, but that's, uh, yeah. I could have got with you if I punched one, two, three, four in your chest. <laughs> that's all. I've, been, I've been thinking about this for a year, Tron. You know, like, uh, for an entire cycle. Uh, so, but then, uh, yeah, with a little bit about leveling here, when you level with somebody, it's like you have to, it's a very, that, that 70s expression of, like, you have to believe me, I'm on the level. Um, like, it's supposed to be saying we're on the same level, but it, Apparently, its roots are in Freemasonry. Like, right. if, if you say to somebody, "So you're on the level," it was code to say, "It's true." So you're a Freemason, you know? Oh, or, yeah. Like it's true. It was a yeah, it was yeah, a code yeah. to say, yeah. like, uh, you know, like some people say, "Oh, you're you're a friend of Dorothy." Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like so you're on the level. Like it was this thing where you're like, yeah, "Oh, yeah. yes, I am. I right. am on the level. Yeah, on the I level. am one of you." Yeah. You know, uh, but. But the level's like one of those ubiquitous mason tools, uh, so it proves horizontal's like true, like you're saying, like yeah. being true, right? So, like, but it was also saying like we're all on a horizontal, like on, it's an all men are created equal kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, and uh, in in a leveling with somebody, you are you're like, well, now we have the same information, right? I don't have an advantage over you. You're not down by having more information yeah. or by lying to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Leveling. Leveling. Users. Users. I'm a user. User. Uh, Yori. Yori is uh, pretty. Yeah. <laughs> I want to get that. I want to see if I can isolate that sample. So now, from this point forward, anytime somebody says user, I can just put that in. In the. Uh, <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. That'd be funny. I, it's it, again, like we were talking about before, a lot of commitment to a simple joke. Yeah, and I'm asking to give myself hours of extra editing time, but I think that would be pretty funny. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe you could just do it for like the next five minutes, starting right now. Yeah. Anytime one of us says <laughs> "user," <laughs> what was that? <laughs> what was what was that? Uh, or you could just make it with your mouth like that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's easier, right? That's a well, way easier. Yeah. So we, we don't try and do it in post. No. We'll just. Okay. Well, you and I know that we need to do the joke. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like that. Uh, I like that idea. So Yori's pretty unbelieving of the news here that uh, that uh, he's a user, but she well. also seems <laughs> she also seems pretty amused by it. She seems pretty uh, amused and bemused by that. Both a and b amused by his user. <laughs> she closes yeah she closes her eyes and smiles like this guy is bonkers right you know but then she opens him up and leans away from tron and tilts her head and says like you're a user 
And well, we get our second uh, second one. So it's cool that she's reacting like, get a load of this guy. Like, not like, uh, throw this guy off the ship. Like, he's like, she's like, you're a, you're a user. Like, you, you're... Your Abe Froman, the Sausage King of <laughs> Chicago. You know, like you're, this is like I don't think so. The, the deuce you say. The deuce you say. Just as an aside. Just as an aside. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read that uh, Cindy Morgan, the actor. Mm-hmm. I didn't find this out until now. I should have found this out a long time ago. She's legally blind without her uh, contact lenses. Oh, she's like her eyesight is absolutely uh, can't see a thing. So I, but I also wonder if her glasses in the real world, her character's glasses in the real world, were just ornamental, because there were those big kind of oversized Sally Jesse Raphael glasses, but they didn't seem that thick, hmm. you know. And if she's legally blind, then I imagine her glasses would be in 1982. Her glasses would be pretty dang, you know. You'd notice you're like, wow, those glasses are pretty extreme, but uh, they don't seem to be that way. So I wonder if they're just costume costume glasses. Costume glasses. There you go. So, as an aside, there you go. Cindy Morgan. Uh, what else was she in? Caddyshack. Caddyshack. She was. Uh, she had the fantastic it's, character. It's possible name. that I've never seen Caddyshack. Am I? Am I missing out big or what? The you, Gopher in it, right? You're, the Gopher movie. You're miss. Yes, the Gopher movie. You're missing out in that it is a. It's a showcase. Uh, for Rodney Dangerfield, for Chevy Chase, for Ted Knight, for uh, for Bill Murray, in a way, a lot of people like really Bill. enjoying imagining our gentle listeners out there while we talk about Caddyshack, saying, "I thought we were here <laughs> to talk about you know, minute seventy four of Tron. What is this Caddyshack business? Tell me more about Caddyshack." Yeah, Caddyshack. So uh, she's she plays the character of I think it's Lacey Underall. She's got like a really wild name like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she's like the rich socialite. <laughs> Honey comes twice. Or... <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so she's uh, got the, she's like the rich, uh, the rich, hot socialite daughter. Yeah. Um, who's up to a lot of crazy shenanigans. And uh, she hooks up with Chevy Chase, I think. But she's kind of the cheesecake in the movie, but she has her own character in her own right. Honey cheesecake. Yeah, yeah. And she, uh, but she, yeah, she was she was not treated well by the by the the powers that be. Meta she, cheesecake. Yeah, and then she uh, she had to rebel a little bit and Mega put, cheesecake. put her foot down, and then she, um, uh, as a result, was left off of all the publicity for Caddyshack in uh, in Retribution, and was almost attempted to be blackballed in the industry. And so it was a year before she worked again. She was an Irish Spring girl, and then she was in Caddyshack, and then oh. she was in Tron, and then she was in a couple of other things, but not not much else. So it was kind of a, a brief. My brain went down a funny place because I thought you were talking about uh, uh, problems that her character had. Mm. No, and I was like, "Oh, oh, the actor." I see. No, right. so in Caddyshack, the directors wanted her to be in the centerfold for a Playboy as publicity for the film. She was like, right. "No way, Jose, I'm not doing it." Right, and they were like, "No, I think you are." And they were like, "She's like my she's like I believe say I that just said because that I would never to. have agreed to." So that. she I'm had to go it. to Harold Ramis and uh, and Bill Murray and be like, "You know, you got to have my back here because this is getting really awkward and bad." And um, and so they did. They had her back, but it was a thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as a result, she was sort of labeled problematic. And, yeah. And then, but that's what's cool about Tron is she was on all the publicity for Tron. The the poster, like she's on the poster for even though she's kind of looking up to Tron or whatever. She's there in, in mm-hmm. all of them. So, I don't know. More power to Cindy Morgan. That's what I say. It's good to have her in the movie. And uh, I'm glad she's here. So, uh, Flynn says the great line 
I took a wrong turn somewhere. Like I think it's a it's a it's a pretty fun line for him to say as a, as a user. It's very glib for like, but it's also disarming. Like if the, if you if you realize, much to your shock mm. and awe, mm. that there's a god on the bridge, that there is a god in your living room, that there is a god with you, right now. And uh, the God does not go, I have come with a message. You know, the God does not go, supplicate yourself before me. No, the God says, that looks like I should have turned, uh, made that left turn at Albuquerque. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the God is like, I don't know what I'm doing here. But, you know, you're like, oh, okay, well, then we can hang out. We've got, you know, we can we can work with this kind of thing. And, you know, and that, that's, what, well, that's so what's kind of cool about Flynn. So from the perspective of the programs, the user's are sort of like Greek gods. This is exactly like Hercules meeting Ares or something like that, sort of like Greco-Roman, yeah, like that kind of Yeah, thing. like it's that sort of pantheistic thing, and the gods are... Uh... It's not only pantheistic, it's mm. like one-to-one. It's like Oh, in this case, yeah. In this case, it's like you're a program and you have a god that is directly responsible Got for your, your own personal Jesus. And that goes your own it. personal Jesus, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. And that goes for every single program. Right, but I that's a trip. It's because I was just thinking that's, of Greek that's gods in terms of you've got these these uh, uh, gods who in like the Greco Roman gods had many human fallibilities. Sure, you know they they argued, they were jealous, they, they were jealous. horny, they yeah. were covetous, they held grudges, all that stuff. Um, but the idea that everyone had their own sort of personal god. That's a whole lot of trap. That's Tron specific. Yeah. That's yeah. what differentiates yeah. it. A, you can speak to your God. Yeah. And B, everyone has a singular God. That's um or should I say one and mm. zero. Mm-hmm. But the uh that's that's uh that's the difference in the movie than it is to like the Greco Roman myths or our own religions. Yeah. Uh is that uh it's 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 one to one. Although the question remains unanswered that we've t- touched on before. If a program, mm-hmm. if a user writes 50 programs. Yes. Do all of those programs look exactly like him? So are there 50 programs walking around that look like Alan, you know? Or like were all the pro- all the intruder programs that Flynn wrote were they all walking around? Like how come nobody's walked up to Flynn and said, "Clue, how's it going?" you know? Yeah, yeah, right. Or is it like uh Although bit it although, like what's this not that got uh that was cloned to make all the clone troopers in Star Wars, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, like that kind of that kind of person. And then if you write fifty programs, if you write like a very complex actuarial software program, now that seems and you also to write me. like a really simple printing program. Yeah, like they both look like you. Only one. See, I would very think simple. that they. Yeah. Well, only one's very simple and one's very smart. So they're different people because they would have different purposes in the grid, but they would both look exactly the same. So I feel like there's uh, a little bit of um, like harmonic avoidance. Word. Right? Yeah. In, in that, uh, like, yeah, in theory it is that way, but we're just, we're just not going to play that note. We're not going to play that clashing note. It's like in the beginning of the film when they transport. The you know what weird metaphor I'm getting at here? I, yeah, please yeah. go on. Yeah. Go on. Like, 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 uh, if um, you have certain notes that work with certain chords and certain notes that don't quite work, you can 
adjust your chord or just don't play the notes that don't quite work. Yeah. And I feel like in uh, Tron, they're not playing the notes that don't quite work. Uh, we know because of the ground rules that they've set up that indeed there are probably 50 Flynn-faced programs roaming around here and yeah. 50 Allen-faced programs running around here, but we only get to see one of them. Yeah, which for the purposes of the film is all you need and indeed all you'd want. Exactly. Otherwise, you're talking about a different movie. Exactly. Yeah, no, I can I can definitely dig that. Um, but I was like, yeah, I was yeah, like, like was, if the sequel was made five years later instead of several decades later, yeah. it would have been called Trons, and sure. it would have had like multiple Bruce Boxleitners and multiple Jeff Bridges. Oh, right. The only way to catch a Tron is to send a Tron and then send like a, an evil Tron after the good Tron and then have them battle it out or like have some five oh, Trons on yeah, one yeah, Tron yeah. action. And you have like like a like a Tron that's got corrupted so they got some good Trons after yeah, it, yeah. like the like the Terminators and Sure or and like all one, that one of the Trons like, you know, insane because he's you know, his data's all messed up or whatever. Yeah. Or or uh if you have um uh like collaborative projects where two programmers work together. Sure. Uh, sure. So like you get this chimera. Half half or, yeah, they get two face. It's either two face. Yeah, it's either Janus, you know, back and back and front, you know, Voldemort style, or else yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. right down the middle, one blue eye, one green eye, or else they're just like a like a child of them. So they have that sort of meshed uh, genes kind of thing. Whole other arena. Whole other arena. Great movie. Whole other movie. I want to see <laughs> that movie. movie. Different movie. Different movie. For now, we're just not going to play that note. One user. Wow. One program. <laughs> Stuff to explore yeah. in a in a in a in a in an anthology film or exactly. or or a series or something because one thing that's uh, not super duper and I haven't seen any of the the Tron the animated series so I don't it's know top notch I don't know if they explore some of that stuff over they there sure or do. not they okay, sure great. do they they explore tons of stuff in the Uprising cartoon which is a shame that it only got like eighteen episodes yeah. or something and two of them aren't on Disney Plus I think the pilot's not there. And uh, well, something halfway through Come the run. Come on, Disney, what's up? Yeah, they needed content, so it's up there. But yeah. I think they should they should put more stuff. But the um, one thing that's I also quite liked the the I don't know if there was more than one, but I played a Tron video game that I oh yeah. yeah yeah. There's some very, very good Tron video games yeah. out there. It was Tron 2.0. Um, I think that was the one I played. There was uh, when Bit comes to life hmm. in the cockpit of the recognizer mm-hmm. he recognizes Flynn as Clue in uh, in uh, in what in the movie Tron oh uh, in the movie Tron in the movie Tron yeah Flynn uh, Flynn after Ram dies uh, Flynn is driving the recognizer around and Bit shows up and he's like whoa yes or no answers ah so you're a bit right Yes. You know, can you say anything else? No. And then they have that whole comedic sequence of him trying to drive that bit. How do we know that the bit recognizes him as Crom? We don't. As uh, as uh, uh, recognizes him as Clue. We we don't. Oh, clue, 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 clue. Yeah, we don't. It's never explicitly stated in the film. This is a screenplay novel thing that was something that helped me out a lot, but also kind of uh, made it a little more confusing because Bit's a unique character. Well, they forgot that scene where he says, do you recognize me? <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 What's my name? Glue. Yeah, well, <laughs> What's my name? <laughs> no. What do you mean? No. 
No, your name is not what? Your name is Clue. <coughs> but, um, yeah, because I thought that every cockpit of every vehicle had a bit. Right. I, I thought think. that. Uh, no. Bit's a unique character. Bit was created to be Clue's pal in the tank during the infiltration. Clue got captured and said, get out of here, Bit, and Bit took off. And all this time, Bit's been hiding out in the junkyard, in the in the in the cold and shivering in the in the in the dead cave of the recognizer cockpit. The lost sidekick. The lost sidekick, and then and then two Bit's eyes. Clue shows up and says, "Hey, what's up?" And Bit's like overjoyed. Bit's like, "Oh my gosh, it's Clue, my my old user. You're the best. Good to see you." And uh, Flynn's like. What are you? And Clue's like, I'm really confused right now because you look exactly like Clue. But then he comes to say, like, oh, sure, well, help me pilot this thing. And he's like, okay, great. Well, whatever's happening, I don't know what's happening. You look like Clue, and I'm into you. So, so I'm going to say yes to this. I'm going to say yes I'm, to this. I'm yes to this experience. I'm, yes I'm to, a no to your driving. I'm no to your driving. But I'm a yes to this experience. I'm yeah. yes to you. You're okay by me. I'm going to disappear later on for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. But in the, in, the, in the screenplay in the novel, he's still kicking around. But he's the only character in this entire movie and they don't really go into it in the movie but he's the only character that in theory goes you know or no actually he's one of three sorry he's one of three one of three actually one in the last minute yeah when (laughs) he says Laura and then yeah Flynn is recognizing people left right and center but this is bit recognizing uh, Flynn as clue so it does get touched on in the movie but they don't have uh, copies running around it's also oh, maybe sorry, that weird that that Yori doesn't know Clue, right? Maybe why is Yori not saying Clue? Hey, what's up? Well, I heard you went down with that thing, and and you know, and yet here you are. If the grid is supposed to mirror the real world, yes, then it would make sense that Clue and and Yori had a relationship, because in the in the real world, uh. uh Flynn and Laurie, Doctor Laura, Doctor Laura Baines. They both had a they both had a relationship, and right. then and they probably worked next to each other, and their programs worked yeah. next to each other. So their ex is now, and now uh, Alan's in the picture, and there's that there's that triangle kind of going on. So if that was here, that would be kind of cool. If Yori was like, "Hey, Clue, it's so good to see you," and he's like, "No, I'm I'm Flynn." If this if this was reversed, if he's like. This they guy probably had, wrote a version of the scene that was like, Clue, Laura. No, wait, no, what? No, what? what? Laura? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm not, not Clue. I'm not Laura. Yeah. Oh, wow. Weird. We just wasted 30 seconds of the audience's time. <laughs> can, we, uh, can we chop and channel this, you guys? We, we yeah. got to get to the MCP. Yeah. We got we to gotta go fight the bear. We don't have time for this. Yeah, this is a, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cute. Beginning, cute. beginning of cute, the third Lovely act. scene. Very funny. Cut it. Mistaken identity meet cute that really needs to not be here for this, <laughs> for this particular beat. At this point in the film, for sure, for sure, for sure. Mm. Uh, but one thing that you were talking about earlier is uh, things not being shown on screen. It was like the transport, the 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 orange being disassembled by the laser uh, at the beginning of the film. Right. It gets reassembled off screen. We it, see it. We see it getting built back up. Right. And where's and where's the orange like? Where are like Sark and all his buddies around the uh, around the Coliseum going? Like, what is this orange doing here? And I thought there was an orange here a second ago. We never get to see that. Right? No, we never get to see that. That <laughs> would like, be pretty wild. Like, wh- 
Did you? There was an extremely. Is that an orange? Oh, it's, it's gone. I now. don't even know what is what an orange is. There's an extremely vivid looking citrus fruit here, <laughs> and now it's gone. Well, that brings to mind in Legacy when they're sitting. We just around don't having, need to play those notes when they're sitting around having a turkey dinner in Legacy. It's like did somebody uh, digitize that turkey and send it into the grid? You know, is that is that what they're they're, they're munching on? Um, it's uh, it's an interesting thing, but the thing is, they don't show the orange being reconfigured or reconstituted mm-hmm. because that means that they've created a transporter, and that's a whole other movie. All you need to see is that they took the orange apart. You don't need to see them rebuilding it back up. You can sort of insinuate that it's being built back up, but you really you want to see. Oh, I don't know. Am I right about well, that? Well, I don't think you are because we we see because Flynn comes back. Flynn out. comes back. We see him come back, and we need to see him come back. We need to see him come back. And um, I mean, possibly they don't show the orange coming back because it's implicit. Like, yeah. okay, we. We sent the orange in there. Presumably, we know it works. But maybe they left it out to create more jeopardy. Like, we know we can send things in there. Uh, can you come out? I don't know. <laughs> if they show the orange, right? come back, and it's all half melted, and they're like, huh, well, we're still working the bugs out. Then you're like, well, is Flynn going to be able to make it out? So if you, if you don't see the orange come out, maybe you don't know if Flynn can come out. And you're like, maybe he's going to stay in there. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. But the other thing that's yeah. weird, though, to, to zoom out on the, to the the film writ large over its hour and a half length. Uh, It's weird that absent from the film is the, I have to get out of here quest. That's Yeah, that's true. Right? Like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a character in some eighties time travel film. And I'm, you know, stuck in the land of dinosaurs or, the medieval Europe and knights are trying to kill me and I just want to get home. Yeah, that's right? not here. It's not here. Yeah, he's he shows up going, what is going on? And yeah. he comes to accept it and he yeah. adopts a mission. But yeah, the, nowhere is the I have to get out of here part. Yeah. And it's... That's really interesting. It's very weird that he... he uh, or maybe it's not weird. I mean, he takes on the mantle of his of his he he becomes clue yeah i guess he he becomes clue he's trying to do clues work oh dude yeah he's not trying to do flynn's work flynn's work is to get the hell out of here how did i get trapped in here can i ever get out of here it's not in the film right and clue's job was to find the file yes right well i'm really glad i had you on here that's exactly he he goes into the world and he becomes his program. Yes, that's something that I never quite put together before. Yes, and he's indistinguishable from his program except for his Deus Ex powers that come out from time to time and his uh, laconic jaw de vivre. Yes. Oh, that's really cool. Okay, but this is like and uh, so, and, and uh, something we were talking about on the break, and you're like, oh, you should talk about that while we're recording. Yeah. Um, when uh, when I do script analysis, yeah. Um, one thing that I like to do is if somebody, you know, hands me a script and says, give me some notes, I read through the first 10 or 11 pages and then put the script down, set it to the side. And I say, okay, what, what do we know? Yeah. I've watched 10 minutes of this film. 
What do I know? Yeah. What do I want to know? Yeah. You know, what are my what are my questions? Right. Every question that you have about the film is a little sort of story engine that's going to keep you leaning forward on your seat to find out how the question is answered. Mm-hmm. Uh, every piece of information that you have is something that tells you about uh, uh, the world. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's a film that bears on the world, which which this is, if it's like a cop drama or something, you don't need to know what the world is. You know what the world is. But, yeah, yeah, but in, yeah. In uh, any sort of science fiction or horror film. Uh, it's all about uh, ground rules. Yeah, you know what are what are the rules of this uh, world, or how does this monster work? How does this technology work? Yeah, uh, questions like that. By um, by eleven minutes into Tron, um, we don't know what's going on. Right, right. We know that uh, Flynn is looking for data that Dillinger and MCP are trying to hide, but we don't know what the data is. Mm-hmm. And we've got some world bu- world building stuff, and that's it. Right, and it's another twenty minutes before you shouldn't have come back, Flynn, and he gets orange scanned yeah. uh, into the thing. But it's it's a super interesting uh, lens uh, uh, to look at, especially if you're on a if you're making a film, you're intimately familiar with that film. Sure, right? You've gone back and forth over the screenplay a million zillion times. Uh, in the writing of it, in the filming of it, in the editing of it, or you know, if later on, some decades later, somebody's doing a movie by minute podcast about it, sure. they've gone over it endlessly. It's super useful to look at the like advancing wavefront of the film and go, okay, if we stop here, what do we know and what do we want to know here? Because that's the the part of the film that moves, Consider- that pulls us forward through the film. Theoretically, you should be able to do that at any second of the film. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. And the, um, you know, there are the big uh, pivotal scenes that uh, that redirect the action, or you have a big uh, change in value, or um, one question is answered, or another question is is asked. Uh, Often you'll have, um, you know, somebody trying to get together with their romantic partner and, you know, they get together with them and everything seems fine and not too much is unresolved. And you can look at your watch and go, okay, in about 30 seconds, we're going to have a big problem here. And, you know, yeah, <laughs> sure, sure, right? sure. It's that little calm before the storm and then just everything, everything goes nuts. Yeah. Um, from the perspective of, uh, of Minute 74... Uh, we're just kind of coming around the corner into this uh, into this final quest, right? We're we're top of the third act. Um, yeah, Tron got the MCP mission from Alan, and now he's trying to execute on it. Mm-hmm. Everybody's together. These three characters are together. Right now, and now we're on the trolley. Here we go. Yeah, now we're on the trolley. Here we go. Um, and and in the minute previous to this, Sark has been given the like, your decision gate has been reached. You're out of time. The MCP has said, you douchebag, you messed up. You best get them because this is it. You're my last chance to get them, and this is your last chance to survive this entire experience because if you don't catch them, I'm taking you out for good. Yeah. Right. So that's his, he's, he's been given the lash. And we can drill down on the, the MCP, Sark, Dillinger thing a little bit more next episode. Yeah, absolutely. But that's, right. a, sure. that's, a, super, that's a super fascinating uh, Very fascinating, super fascinating relationship. Because that, I mean, back to what we were talking about earlier about the, you know, the fifty uh, Allens or the fifty Flins. We got two Dillingers. Yeah, here, yeah. Right. We got a Sark and an MCP. Well, the MCP is voiced by Dillinger. 
Uh, indeed, but Dillinger, I mean, Dillinger, as much as anybody, oh, Dillinger yeah, yeah. was the one that created the MCP. True, true, true. Yeah, he was so, created by several users, but he, uh, like, it, Dillinger had a hand in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is a very important minute because this is a this is where the philosophical theme of the film gets hammered home. At the beginning, this is this is the payoff to almost the setup of the entire movie in, right. in one aspect of it. Because in the in the beginning, we've got Dr. Walter Gibbs saying, "A part of me is in every program. A part yeah. of every programmer is yeah. in every program that they create." And then we get there's a, re- a, a reference to religious discussions. Yeah, there's religious discussions. There's, like, uh, I, I, this I, isn't happening. It only thinks it's happening. Which yeah, I was interesting. A, this is a really good one. And then we get Tron's like faith in the users being treated as a uh, like a like a heretical. It's like well, not heretical, but like uh, like he's the the, the 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 people that believe in the users are being persecuted, and belief in the users is like uh, traditionally like on our planet, mm-hmm. like uh, there's always been an uh, The onus is on the believer to say, "Well, prove to me that there's your object of worship exists." Sure. But here in this world, uh, you can talk to your God, but uh, they don't. They don't come to this plane of existence. But you can communicate with them, right? Um, Although that's been restricted by the MCP. So there's all this kind of stuff going on about faith in the users, and then we've seen both ends of the spectrum. We've heard the insinuations. Mm by Dr. Walter Gibbs, because nobody's gone to this world, but we've heard the insinuation that there's faith on the part of the users that a part of themselves is in the system. And, and Dr., uh, Dr. Walter and Dumont are linked, right? They're linked. They're yeah, the yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. And then there's faith on the part of the users, I mean, on the part of the programs yeah. that users exist and that they uh, that they care about the the, the programs, that they, they have a, they have a, a maybe not, not care, but there's a, there's a relationship going on there. But this sentence right here, this little back and forth, where Tron says a very theme-relevant question. He says, so if you're a user, then everything you've done has been according to a plan, right? Right. And uh, Flynn chuckles really hard and says, ha, you wish. And, yeah. uh, and Tron is really gutted to hear Flynn say this. And his expression falls, and but Yori looks really confused. Like, well, that doesn't make any sense. What you just said. Well, this is parenthood. This is parenthood. Yeah, I'm not talking about the the hilarious movie with Keanu Reeves and, and Tom Hulse. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic cast. Yeah, and, great you know, movie. they'll let everybody. Uh, you know, you need a license to drive a car, but yeah, they'll yeah. let everybody have a baby. No, uh, it's 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 parenthood. Like, you're. You know, your parents know everything, right? <laughs> no, we don't. Word. Okay, sure. Yeah. I know. It's important to you. You know, it's it's important to your upbringing that you think we know everything. Yeah. So that when we say, don't put the fork in the socket, don't play with a knife, yeah. you listen. Yeah. But when you grow up, you'll find out, no, we really don't. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very, uh, a very really cool way to look at this scene. Because that's not an aspect that I was uh, that I was thinking about, but that's a really cool way to look at it. And and the you know the programs are the offspring of their programmers. Yeah. Now, this is interesting because we and they have that childlike innocence. They do. They use the word "users," my user. Yeah. But uh, in this case, it seems to be synonymous with programmers. Isn't that weird? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Because again, we're not playing those notes. The only, uh, the only user 
and uh, program pairings that we are privy to within the scope of this film yeah. are users that have written the programs that they are using. Right. Right? So, I mean, if I have a program that you wrote and I am instructing the program that you wrote on what to go and do for me, does it look like me? Does it look like you? I'm the one giving it the instructions. Word. We're not playing those notes in the hour and a half scope of this film. Or what if you're a program whose user has died? Right. 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 So you're still doing your job because, you know, silicate's eternal or whatever. There's nobody on the other end of the line. But there's nobody on the other end of the line. Or there's a different user. Or there's a different user. Yeah. Do you start to look like that user? Do you look like the original user? All these really cool notes, right? uh, You know, what... Do you look like that little piece of piece of the soul of the programmer? Does the piece of the soul of the programmer that's in you die when the programmer dies? I would think that you would have to. I would think not. I would think that you would have to reprogram the program, or or you know get in there and edit the program for it to start to look like you. Right. But uh, it's an interesting thing to think about for sure. And uh, this scene also to me, brought to mind uh, Flatland by Edwin Abbott. You're okay. familiar with it? I'm Flatland? familiar with it, I think. Uh, yeah, the, the, it, it's um, uh, sort of a little science fiction novel about uh, geometry. Yeah. Where uh, there's a there's a like lines and circles and spheres. Sure. And uh, I think the initial realm is the realm of the line. So you've got dots and line segments that live on this line. And then uh, somebody gets, uh, one of the characters gets out of the line into a a geometrical plane. And they're like, wow, like I could see this plane. You know, it's so much more than the line. Right. There's there's a whole plane. And if you have a circle that passes through a line from the point of view of the of the plane, it's it's a complete circle, but from the point of view of the line, it starts as a point and spreads out to a line segment and then disappears as it passes through the line. Yeah. So, uh you've got this guy that saw the plane, he's all uh a mind blown and you know then if you try and expand it to three dimensions and you've got spheres and if the sphere passes through the plane, it gets bigger and smaller. Mm. And there's this whole thing of like looking upward and, and downward and the, the people that can uh, can see the dimension that they're on in smaller dimensions, you know, they can see all that, but they can't extrapolate to the higher dimensions. Yeah. And they think that you're insane Yeah, if you allude to a higher dimension. If you've gone there and come back. Exactly. That's the it's all like Plato's cave. I remember a few minutes exactly in the like we were Plato's about, cave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's a I, lot I thought Plato's cave might make an appearance here. It did. It has. It has in previous yeah. minutes, definitely, because it's exactly what's what's. And it's exactly what this is about here. This minute. Yeah, yeah, and so, like Flynn says, well, you guys know what it's like. You just keep doing what it looks like you're supposed to be doing, no matter how crazy it seems. And Tron says. Well, that's the way it is for programs, yes. And Flynn says, well, I hate to disappoint you, pal, but most of the time that's the way it is for us users too. Now, your take on this being parenthood is a very, very good take to have because so far mm. I've just been very, very consumed with yeah. taking it from a religious uh, religious sure. angle and a God's angle. 
because this scene taken with all the crossfades between the grid lights and the traffic lights of downtown Los Angeles really seems to imply that we ourselves are in another kind of grid and by insinuation that our gods might just be users on a different scale, like up in some equally incomprehensible other plane from us, but sacrilegiously just muddling through and getting by like we are. Yeah, and there are there are visual cues to to um to suggest a syntheticness to the real world of yeah. of the film. Like yeah. the what the when the helicopter comes the the neon on the blade just like yeah. very, very, very Tronish. It's very Tronish, but that's to me more a characteristic of that's just Encom's design. Uh, sure. ethos sure right so it's it's mimicked inside the tron world that's been created okay. by uh okay. by Encom. Yeah. but i was thinking more like they, they keep showing all the the this like when um when alan and dr laura baines are in the van headed towards flynn's mm. to talk to him you can see nothing but brake lights in front of them just red points of light yeah you know yeah. and when they when they, they pull up to encom it's just like a slow pan up the building where all you you barely see the building it's just the lights of the windows yeah and there's these shots of like downtown los angeles and all you see are the points of light and then they'll crossfade between that and uh the the, the grid and stuff yeah like and that. i also so, noticed a, uh, uh, a shot um in the lab where there's all these like cubicles in the background and yeah. the cubicles kind of like like fade into this the into infinite the distance maze. like infinite circuitry almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that the echoes the maze on the inside. But it's this um to me the the insinuation that there is no uh divine mysterious plan, it's just God's doing their best. Right? right. Which I think that's why I like your parenthood take on it better, because I think that's a little less a little less frightening because that that idea that the gods are just muddling through, much like the Greco-Roman kind of thing, is uh, is, is deeply frightening but deeply heartening uh, all at the same time. And it's a very, but it's mostly to me a very surprising and powerful thing to have in a Disney movie about computers. Sure, that's why I think that's the kernel, the kernel in the core, and the jewel of why I like this film so much is because of its deeper philosophical implications. That you're like, what is this doing? in a 1982 Disney family film about computers. Uh, and uh, it potentially also touches on the, the human condition in, in that so much, of, uh, so much of what we do is, for lack of a better word, unconscious. You know, we're, we're driven by drives that we probably don't understand, don't yeah. really examine. Yeah. Uh, you know, for for much of our lives, we don't really know what we're really pursuing. Yeah, um, you know, we're uh, we're seeking uh, a social matrix. Mm-hmm. We're seeking uh, status. Yeah, uh, we're we're seeking security. Um, we're seeking all of these things, but it's it's not given to us for the most part to know what it is we're looking for. And that's kind of what bothers me about Tron saying that's the way it is for programs. Yes, but it shouldn't be that way for users is because, uh, I understand us not knowing what we're doing here. I understand us not knowing how we got here. I understand us having to pick goals for ourselves because, there aren't any that are given to us other than like advice from your parents or having enough money to pay the rent. But in the grid, that's not the case. 
you are created for a very specific purpose. Right. So Tron saying, yeah, we muddle through, but users shouldn't be like that, is like, well, that's not true, though, is it? Programs are no, given programs a very direct, don't muddle through. They, they know exa- they, programs know exactly what they they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. Yeah, right. But I guess it's 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 very much in the verbiage because he says you just keep doing what it looks like you're supposed to be doing, no matter how crazy it seems. I can see that being interpreted as, okay, you're a program and your job is to hop from this peg to that peg yeah. for eternity. Yeah, and you're like, well, what the heck? But, well, okay, okay, yeah. So I can I I get it from that standpoint. Yeah, right. So. I don't know. It's just it's interesting because it's one of those rare, powerful moments in cinema that I don't think I've ever seen equaled in terms of its commentary on religion. Like I've seen other movies that paint the devil out to be sympathetic or paint God out to be a bureaucratic big picture jerk or whatever, or at worst malicious or whatever. But this isn't saying that it's saying that, you know, the gods are the God is trying his best, but it's touch and go. And I don't. I, that's something that I, I don't think I've, I've seen much in a. In I don't think I've ever seen that in a film, yeah. other, other than this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a very surprising setting. So yeah, but I, I really I enjoy your take on um, on. But to to light to to get away yeah. from the heavier stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the creator's commentary, director Steven Lisberger looks at all the costumes and he's lamenting about how how many awesome bike helmets there are out there these days in uh, in 2020 ha, ha, ha. and uh, how they could have used those on the shoot and how the cycling world these days is nothing but helmets and spandex just like Tron. And so it's like it feels like they were pioneering the look of the rollerblading and cycling years before the fads, um, the, you know, like helmet styles and, and all that clothing, you know, just before it really took off, they were doing this years before it, before it really took like, off. Oh, so. It would be you guys to the punch. Yeah. yeah, and I wonder if it's possible to get a Tron style helmet for your bike. You know, like I know that they have Tron um, Legacy style light strips called Light Mode that you can stick to your existing motorcycle helmet to make yourself look like the the Legacy characters. But um, well, I suppose that's a, a pretty long way to go. And if you're making safety equipment, uh, maybe you can get stickers for your bike helmet. But if you're making uh, if you're making actual safety helmets, then I don't know. Maybe that's a whole different legal issue. So Tron bounces back awfully quick, uh, going full Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Saying, you know, stranger and stranger with a little wondrous shake of his head. You know, and I just feel like, oh, Tron, you know, bless you. You know, like never changed. He he takes this news, I think, in stride. Uh, But I think for him it's a wonderful confirmation. Well, and if if, uh, like if the movie went down every single one of these – rabbit holes it would yeah. be a neil stevenson novel it, right it would be like a a 20 hour uh it would be kryptonometron hey oh kryptonometron ladies and gentlemen sam dolmage thank you <laughs> uh then uh flynn now okay oh, this is a part where it gets a little creepy again flynn stares at yori a little lasciviously and says so uh nice looking ship you got here yeah yeah uh which implies that a tron owns yori and, and there's a whole there's, there's a bunch of yori gives him a withering stare but also a smile and goes back to attending her piloting Tron looks at Yori and back to Flynn. Like, he isn't sure what just happened, but he doesn't think that he likes it. Just gives him a little bit of the dead eye, like, you know, watch it, watch it, bro. You know, you might be a god, but but that's like, but that kind of, <laughs> that kind of takes me to a different level of like, would you let a god get jiggy with your partner? 
if God came down and was like, I'm interested in your partner and you didn't have an open relationship or anything like that. But um, like, would you be like, uh, uh, well, you are a, where you are a God. Cause it's kind of like, you've got Zeus to contend with yep. historically. Um, but, and also, I guess yeah, and you've got like the, you know, landowners and yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, serfs and Kings and serfs and Kings. And you know, you got, the, the, you, the king thinks your wife looks mighty fine. It's like, well, the, like, how do what are we going to get? <laughs> uh, what are we going to get out of this? Well, you won't be burned alive. Oh, how does that sound? It's a pretty sweet deal. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's uh, very agreeable. Yeah. Um, but it also means like, could a user just come down to the grid to uh, have relations with programs in the future? I mean, this is Flynn's if they the, could get scanned in there in the first place. Flynn's the first person to get scanned in. Let's and, say and could, to, and could you scan a program out? That's what could, they explore in Tron, right? Because right. Uh, Cora comes out. Uh, sorry, in Legacy, like Cora, Cora comes oh, out yeah, of the yeah, computer, yeah, and that yeah, was yeah. that's Clue's whole plan is to bring a whole army out into into our world and invade our world, which I think is a, personally a pretty Clue's plan. Yeah, in yeah. in uh, in Legacy. Oh. Yeah, Clue's whole plan is to—it's a dumb plan. I don't think it's a—I don't think it's a, a well thought out plan. Yeah, yeah. But um, but Cora comes out and she gets to hang out in the real world with uh, with Sam Flynn, Kevin's son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so and yeah, Clue is Flynn's program. Clue is Flynn's program, right? Yeah. And, and Tron and Clue had the, the army plan in Legacy. Yeah. Okay. Oh right, right, right. So, so sorry, I don't remember Legacy that well. No, Tron. Yeah. Uh, Clue is Clue is alive. So there's an still. evil Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Okay. An evil young Jeff Bridges. An evil young Jeff Bridges who's yeah. not who's not happy about the way this whole thing rolled out. No, because Clue was created to create the perfect system, okay. and then Flynn says you're doing it wrong. Right. And Clue's like, I think you'll find I'm doing it right. Right. So maybe you should STFU and yeah. let me do my job. Yeah. And so and then so Fla- Tr- Clue becomes the evil overlord. So yeah. he's got the, the weight of the kingdom on his shoulders. Right. He's an unhappy guy, but he feels like he is fulfilling his promise to the best of his ability, even though his user is like, I don't like what you're doing. He's like, but I'm doing what you told me to do. So it's and this un- user is like, I'm smoking weed and lying <laughs> in my synthetic <laughs> bathtub waiting for something to change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah so... It has its merits. It has its merits. But I think I would have liked to have seen a legacy where users come and go freely now and have been for 10 years. And what are the ramifications of that? But like you said with the cryptonometron, like there's, the so, cryptonometron, many, there's yeah. so many ways to go. They picked up. One thing I like about legacy is they picked. I like road. cryptonometron as like the incarnation of the incarnation, of, of, <laughs> the version of the story where all this stuff is actually explored. And yeah. it's 1100 pages. <laughs> Easily. And, you know, they, they send you a bumper it. sticker as an award when you finish reading it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I survived Critonometron. But I guess this whole, like, because uh, Flynn's a little uh, puckish here, you know, like he's, yeah. he's kind of trickstery here. Like he's, he's irreverent. He's, he's, he's kind of macking on Yori a little bit. You know, he's, he's kind of like, he's, he's throwing a wrench into things, which is what users do. Like users, uh, as they are here, are also kind of a force for chaos when yep. they get in here because yep. they, they have free will. Like the Greco Roman pantheon. Oh, yeah? Well, yeah. I mean, you've got the, the uh, these these capricious gods meddling in human lives without well, too that, much of a concern for it. In that in that aspect, definitely, definitely. Um, then we get this beautiful wide shot of the game sea 
and a bunch of turquoise bubbles rising up from it. And as we watch, one of them gets caught on the energy beam, stretching until finally letting go of it with a nice little wobble as, Bloop. It, as it keeps rising. The solar sailor blasts past, just missing it. These are like asteroids in the path of the spaceship. I can't imagine that uh, that a solar sailor would survive a collision with one of these bubbles. So I'm a little little worried about that part. I don't see like a big well, deer the catcher are proud. fluid enough to... to to morph around the beam. I would hope that, because it just in a later minute, in the next minute, mm. as a matter of mm. fact, well, we'll talk about that in the next minute. In the next minute. Yeah, so, but anyway, the bubbles are pretty cool. And Wendy Carlos' music is blasting here. The light sailor, the light sailor theme is blasting. It's a great tune. It's an awful rendition of it. Uh, we see a fleet of five recognizers come up over the edge of what I now recognize as Sark's cruisers, but at the first I didn't know where they were coming from. We could have used a shot of them all definitively coming out of the cruiser hangar or something, but they pivot around the green mountain that we saw back at the beginning of the Solar Sailor's trip, and they float down with their super cool sound towards the energy beam. They gently straddle the energy beam between their enormous pincers, and they somehow receive their own supercharge from the beam to make mm-hmm, them go mm-hmm, fast. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder why they didn't do this Like earlier. a little tow line. Yeah, a little tow line, a little fairy tow line. And I don't know why they didn't do this earlier or if it was an editing reorder thing. Like, could the recognizers always do this? Because if they had the power to latch onto the energy beam and go supercharged like the light sailor, then they could have done that right off the bat. Instead of uh, having the solar sailor, the solar sailor takes off, and then these guys talk for for ten minutes on the bridge before we see the recognizers coming. So I think that that might just be a pacing and editing. Well, thing. maybe like Ensign Leslie was just hacking a butt over in engineering. And yeah. he didn't get it together to go. It's like, all right, everybody in your recognizers now. Oh yeah, I'll go in a minute, boss. Either that, or they just spent fifteen minutes trying to figure out how to reconfigure the recognizers to be able to take advantage of the energy beam. And then they're like, okay, we got it. It's been downloaded and installed in all the records. You can read all about it in Cryptonometron. <laughs> Cryptonometron. You read all about it. You know, sub appendix 23. That's right. Yeah. It'll be alphabetical, cross referenced. Yeah. Uh, and then we get a shot of the inside of Sark's cockpit and Sark's lieutenant, Tony Stefano, the actor's name. Of, yeah. uh, he did a nude centerfold in Foxy Lady magazine. The idea of a 38-year-old movie tie-in by Neil Stevenson is kind of tickling me. I can't really get off of this issue. Uh, it would be... Uh, Neil Stevenson's Cryptonometron. <laughs> I'd read it. Yeah. You know, if, he, if like uh, Snow Crash was just such an amazing book. and But the longer his books get, the more I'm like, hats off to you, buddy. That was sure was a long book. Well, I read Cryptonomicon, and I felt like somebody should give me an award. <laughs> I like, like it, but I feel you. I feel yeah, you. like like where where's my certificate? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, then it's like, and for my follow up, I've done a trilogy of three identically sized books, and you know, I said you're not getting me up in that thing, man. Yeah, yeah that thing yeah. won't fly. Yeah. I, it's not safe up there. Yeah, yeah, I won't do it. I read Seven Eves, and I, uh, I enjoyed that. But uh, so then, uh, yeah. He's uh, Tony Stefano, uh, Sark's lieutenant, is asking Sark some question. He's asking Sark a question to Sark's back. And he says, sir, what do you want done with the tower guardian, Dumont? Put him with the others? Sark turns around and starts to say, no, bit brain, and the line ends there. 
Um, I noticed, though, in this shot that the lieutenant doesn't have an identity disc on his back, whereas Sark does and Tron does. Um, but Yori doesn't have a disc on her back either. So I don't know. Like, I was thinking, like, maybe... Maybe when the 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 communications with the users were... were cut off and the MCP quarantine, all the discs were confiscated. I believe yeah. further that you can read all about that in Cryptonomatron. <laughs> I can see a chapter ninety two of Cryptonomatron. Sub chapter ninety two of chapter ninety eight. Appendix five. Uh like but I was thinking, yeah, like maybe are all the discs being held in a safe somewhere, like for ransom kind of thing. Like you you're on board my ship now, give me your identity disc. Or like I guess when you open a tab at a bar and you're like, Give me your credit card and your driver's license, you know, so if you yeah, leave yeah. You, you're not gonna leave without it kind of thing. We'll take your passport, don't leave town. Yeah, exactly. So I think the, the discs are a little inconsistent. But they're also weapons, so maybe only the warriors have them. I don't I don't know. I don't know. But that brings us up to the end of uh, minute 74. But I would like to talk a little bit, as I do, about the differences between the novel and the screenplay. Okay. Um, in the novel, they're more uh, overt in the novel. Like after Flynn says he's a user, it says, no trumpets or drums, no light from on high, just an ordinary looking program in conscripts armor. Um, which in a way is a little bit like uh, like Jesus because he didn't have like a plus 30 flaming sword and like glowing armor. He was just a dude in a robe and sandals, which I think was part of his appeal, but also part of what freaked him out. Flynn is described as an ordinary program in conscripts armor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then when he reveals that he's a user, there's no like, dun, dun, dun. You know, like, no, he doesn't have a halo. He doesn't have wings. You know, he's not like, he, he's just a dude. He's just some guy. Literally a dude. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he's not what most people would imagine a god to be. No halo, no voice from on high, just a little orange asteroid going, where? Yeah, just a little, where? He's, uh, you know, but like, um, and I was just sort of noticing that, like there's a a thing there with like Buddha and everybody. A lot of those guys seem to be just regular dudes that had an experience, you know, like they presented as a regular person, but they were an agent of an otherworldly force. So that's kind of a neat little parallel there. When Tron asks if everything he's done has been according to plan, he says, you wish. Man, I haven't had a second to think since I got down here. I mean, in here, out here, whatever, which is nice in the in the novel. But he continues, you know how it is. You just keep doing what you're supposed to, what it looks like you're supposed to be doing, even if it seems to be crazy. And you hope to hell your user knows what's going on, hmm. which is a small, crucial change from what's in the film. And when Flynn says, nice ship you got here, it's not a flirtation at all, but rather a deferment to Tron saying like, okay, what's next? Like, nice ship you got here. What's our, what's our plan? What's the mission? Where, where, where are we going? Um, and then Tron shows his disc saying that it now has information on it from Alan 1 to take on the MCP. And Flynn says, all right, thank God Alan stayed awake at least. Mm-hmm. And Tron is... Uh, uh, Tron is pretty scandalized to hear Alan One referred to so casually, which is uh, pretty cool, I think. And also, Yori hears Flynn say, thank God, in that line, and thinks to herself, thank who? Right. Right, which is uh, another heavier-handed reference to God being a user, which is, you know, it's it's dialed down for the movie. It's probably rightfully so, I imagine. It was probably a very difficult novel to write. No doubt. Because so much potentially um, 
uh, I want to use the word problematic, even yeah. though it has a, a, a different meaning these days, but so much potentially troublesome material is just danced around in the screenplay. Yeah, yeah. But you you wouldn't be able to get away with that level of uh, sparseness in the novel. No. So you have to dive into it a little bit, but yeah. without derailing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and when uh, when we cut to Sark standing and brooding, he's thinking about how there are thousands of energy beams in the network and that they didn't take a direct route to the MCP on the solar sailor, so it's making them almost impossible to find. Uh, so if he has been sending out recognizers, it's been a needle in a haystack kind of situation. Right, and here's here's the novelist trying to patch over this, like, well, yeah, we can see that beam from... You know, you know, space, miles miles but, around. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's good. We're to, not slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it looks like there's only one energy beam in the whole world, and the solar sailor is on it. Yeah, so uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense that they haven't been caught immediately if the recognized. Yeah, yeah, it looks the like they're just driving down the interstate. It's like, well, yeah, here we are in Alberta. They're driving down the interstate. They should be here in about twenty minutes. Yeah, right. So there's no yeah for interception. Yeah. It seems like it's a no-brainer. Yeah. So, yeah, why is there even a, a chase at all? In the screenplay, uh, oddly, the dialogue here is in the same is the same as in the novel, mm-hmm. which is uh, interesting. They must have changed it like on the day or just a short a short time before shooting to make it a little more oblique. I hope uh, it was a short time and not a short time. <laughs> I hope it was a short time and not a short time. Yeah. We're here for a short time. Here, 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 here. Not, Not a short time. time. <laughs> so have a good time. time. You Sun can't shard every day. day. There you go. Uh, and I like it being a little more subtle. I'm still, like I said, I've, I go on at length about it, but I'm surprised to find this in a Disney movie about computers from the 80s. Any of it. But I, I really, really like your parenthood take on it. I think that's a wonderful way to look at it as well. But that takes us to the end here. Uh, do you want to come back and talk a little bit more about Minute seventy-five. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Okay, let's cool. uh, let's do that. I'll uh, I'll be back here again soon. Nice, and uh, we'll forge onward. Fantastic. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, check out more at tronologicallyspeaking.com. Drop us a line on Twitter at tronologicallyspeaking, or send us an email at tronologicallyspeaking at gmail.com. Or join us on Facebook at the Tronologically Speaking Tron Minute by Minute listeners page. Shout out to Pond5 for the music. Special thanks to the Star Wars Minute that started it all. Go on over to moviesbyminutes.com to see if your favorite movie is there. And if it isn't, consider doing one of these yourself. It's a very inclusive and encouraging community, and it's a wonderful way to explore one of your favorite films. You want to try a little end of line on three? Okay, one, two, three. End of line.